1: Now, here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, founder and executive director of Love Never Fails, Vanessa Russell.
3: Thanks and welcome to Love Never Fails Radio. We are in the studio today with some very powerful women. So excited to be here uh, with you all. Today, we have with us Jessica Kim, who is the program director of Educational Pathways at the Center for Justice and Reconciliation at Point Loma Nazarene University. And she is developing the On Ramps Collaborative, a multidisciplinary collaborative effort to build financial opportunities for survivors of trafficking, and the Flourish Academy, which is a 12 week life skills program. She's also a survivor advocate with 10 plus years of experience, the co creator of No More Program to educate teens about human trafficking, and she sits. On the CSEC, which stands for commercially sexually exploited child advisory board for the state of California under the National Center of Youth Law. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Yeah. And then so it, it doesn't it, it doesn't stop there. We've got some more amazing women on here. We've got Andrea Powell. Andrea is a, the co-founding executive director of Corona Rising. She supports survivor led efforts to advance survivor justice and healing nationally. She currently directs the Survivor Justice Initiative to prevent the arrest and incarceration of survivors of human trafficking in the United States and abroad. She is a survivor of sexual exploitation who combines her lived experience with 18 years of experience. And prior to corona arising, Andrea found Uh, Founded and led Fair Girls and that was the first safe home for survivors of human trafficking in the nation's capital. She's also been published in the Washington Post, New York Times, BBC, NYC and beyond. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Vanessa. It's so wonderful to be here with all of you. Yes, so grateful to have you. Also, we have with us Marjorie Saylor. Marjorie is a survivor leader and founder, CEO of The Well Path. Um, Marjorie is the program director as well of Alice Alabaster Jar Project's long-term shelter program and drop-in resource center for adult women survivors of sex trafficking. She's also the board president of Survivor Leader Network of San Diego, which advocates for legislative recommendations for victims of trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation, while working to mentor other survivors into leaders. In 2017, she became the founder Founder and CEO of the WellPath, which provides shelter, emergency shelter services to survivors across the U.S. with her hotel voucher program. Welcome to the show, Marjorie Saylor. Thank you. Okay, so, and you know, I just want to point out, we're going to be talking about um, some bill language, an initiative that we have all collaborated on. I just want to give a quick shout out also to Tika Thornton, who could not be on the show today, but she is a uh, crisis response case manager from Journey Out. And um, also a survivor advocate who's doing amazing work out there. And she's also contributed to the work that we're going to be talking about, as well as a bunch of other advocates um, from, you know, Rima and uh, from uh, global. Global Hope 365 um, to uh, Greg uh, from California Foundation and um, just a variety, a whole range. Sierra King. There's just Doug Bennett um, from uh, Mag- uh, Magdalene's uh, Hope. Just so many different folks have contributed to this effort. And we're so grateful to have the opportunity to share some of what we've been working on to provide safety to survivors across our state and hopefully across our nation. So we're going to start off our conversation today with Andrea. And um, and uh, just one of the things that I want to um, you know start with here is we all came together um, and really started to get very concerned about the care and the and the dangers that survivors were going to face with the passing of SB 357. And um, for those of you all who have heard me, you know, previous shows uh, that we've had um, uh, SB 357, although it passed the Senate and the and and the Assembly, Uh, It has not yet been presented to the governor for signature, even though it's 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 a candidate for signature. And um, and the reason I believe that is, is because it's become clear that um, that that bill will harm and endanger survivors of human trafficking in particular because it will provide immunity for buyers and exploiters. While while maybe the intention was to protect survivors, it actually will provide immunity for buyers and and exploiters that are involved with loitering for the purpose of prostitution in our state. It also has was missing some important components, which we have communicated to the makers of the bill saying, hey, we get that we don't want decriminalization of uh, we don't want criminalization of survivors. We want survivors to get help. But where are the appropriations? Where is the funding? Where is the support for the survivors to get help? And so we identified that there were no exit strategies built in the SB 357, and there was immunity built in for buyers and exploiters uh, who are involved in a very violent crime against a, an individual um, many times. Although some say that they're doing it voluntarily, even those voluntarily a volunteer Engagements are oftentimes um, built upon coercion, upon um, mental health issues and upon, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of manipulation and even violence extended to people who are Um, Saying that they're there voluntarily. And so we have come together to create an alternative, and we call that Pathway to Safety. Uh, One of the pillars of our Pathway to Safety is to uh, provide more support to survivors uh, of human trafficking by way of supporting the agencies that would provide exit services. And I wanted to bring you in, Andrea, first to talk about why this was such an important part of the the you know our answer right we didn't want to just come and be a, a group of folks that was saying this is wrong this don't do this we wanted to come with some solutions and they wanted those solutions to be based in actual situations that have occurred in best practices in data that um and solutions that we have seen work and or not work um, in other parts of the of the country, and so Andrea, if you want to fill us in a little bit about what you actually observed in New York uh, as you were launching Fair Girls, and there were some of this decriminalization um, being discussed and rolled out there, maybe you could share a little bit with us, and a little bit more about just kind of your your thoughts on all of these um, all of these topics. Now. Uh, You know, what I want to do, because I want to give you a full uh, amount of time, I wanted to just kind of set the stage there. I think what we're going to do is we're going to stop here uh, as we just kind of marinate on all of these things that I just shared. We're going to stop here um, and we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Andrea um, is going to take us through kind of the reason why uh, we need to support organizations and, um, and exit strategies in general. Why is that so important and what needs to be done to deliver that? We'll be right back. And thanks for listening to Love Never Fails Radio.
1: For more information on this program, visit loveneverfailsus.com. That's loveneverfailsus.com.
2: We'll be right back with more right after these messages. Trash bills weighing you down at case industries. We specialize in lowering waste costs and providing trash consolidation and compaction services for multifamily properties, condos and commercial shopping centers. Let us help you reduce operating expenses and increase property NOI. Case Industries, saving the planet, saving you money. Contact us today for a property trash and recycling assessment online at caseindustries.us or call 510-566-4223. That's caseindustries.us or call 510-566-4223. Case Industries, the property manager's friend.
4: Hi, I'm Sandra Herrera, CEO of Case Industries. I've found that many employers are looking for ways to help the community but don't know how. I encourage you to consider supporting Love Never Fails as a corporate sponsor. Love Never Fails offers all the resources necessary to help young women and men overcome the trauma of exploitation and abuse. And that's why I'm proud to have Case Industries supporting Love Never Fails Radio.
1: Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action And love those in your midst. Now, here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, Vanessa Russell.
3: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We again are in the studio today uh, with Jessica Kim, Andrea Powell, Marjorie Saylor, and myself talking about decriminalization and specifically pathways to safety and um bill language that we have created uh, collectively to provide some solutions and fill some of the gaps that we saw specifically with SB 357, but just in general, things that we have, we have observed that are needed in order to pr- properly support survivors and provide diversion um, programs and re- redirects and accountability for buyers and exploiters, thereby reducing demand. Um, so I'm going to call on Andrea to talk a little bit again about the the exit services and the importance therein, and uh, would love to kind of hear from you, Andrea.
5: Thank you so much, Vanessa. I really appreciate being here. So as you mentioned, uh, I founded not one but two nonprofits over the last 18 years. So I'm a moth to the nonprofit flame. Uh, but what really makes me passionate, Vanessa, and everyone listening, is that. I know that survivors can lead, survivors can heal, survivors can grow, but it's much harder to do that when you don't have the appropriate care and services and policies to promote that healing and to pr- protect survivors. You know, what really makes me passionate is knowing that, that survivors can heal, survivors can grow, um, survivors can lead. But that doesn't happen when laws, policies and programs are not there in place to promote that, or at least it's much harder for that to happen. And as someone who personally experienced exploitation and did not get that type of services, it's taken a very long time to heal. Um, and, and it's a, it's an ongoing process. But when we built Fair Girls, of course, we we built a safe home there in the district. Um, but what we continuously saw was that survivors were being arrested uh, for prostitution, for solicitation, for trespassing. And we didn't want that. What we also didn't want, though, is for buyers and traffickers to be able to walk away scot-free and thus perpetuate the problem. Because oftentimes people look at the issue of sex trafficking as they're looking at the word sex, right? But what should really be looked at is the commercial component, looking at the incentives, trafficking, both sex trafficking and labor trafficking can be boiled down into vulnerability and exploitation. So someone's trying to profit off of someone else's vulnerability. Uh, when you do things like removing uh, loitering, what you're going to see happen is that, yes, survivors won't be arrested. And that's a main goal. But we're also going to see sort of an open space environment uh, where buyers and sex traffickers can really go about their business and law enforcement, even if they see the signs, even if they want to engage in an appropriate way, can't. And so right now, what's interesting to me is we have we have a bill that would effectively remove the loitering clause, which is a main investigative tool looking at trafficking, while at the same time, another bill aimed at making trafficking a felony. Now, if I were law enforcement, and I'm not, I would be thinking to myself, so you're going to take one of my main tools away from me to find trafficking survivors and stop trafficking while also making it a felony that I need to implement charges for. It doesn't make sense.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: So the other thing that is really important to to unpack is that we have a, a really amazing opportunity right now. If we were to pass pathways, we would see services and programs like Corona Rising and, and you know, Alabaster Dart Jar. So many organizations, we would see them having an opportunity to connect the survivors. If we were to develop a strategy where law enforcement could connect survivors and those wishing to exit the trade. Uh, to appropriate services that would be tailored to them and oftentimes survivor-led, locally organized, and and really a coordinated response. On the other side, we would have an opportunity for buyers, uh, to, as they, they may not look at initially as an opportunity, but it is an opportunity for them to develop and engage in a program to unpack and understand how their behaviors, which is the buying of mainly women and girls, How their behaviors directly cause harm to that individual, to their children, and overall to the community. Because this is what this is. If we want to really address trafficking at its roots and support survivors, we must, in fact, involve the entire community. And what I saw when there was a sort of a hands off approach in the District of Columbia starting in around 2018, where law enforcement no longer was. Investigating possible cases of trafficking through the loitering lens, what we saw was an eighty percent reduction in young adult survivors being referred to our programs. That's massive. That mm. doesn't mean that there was an eighty percent reduction in victims who were out there. It means that there were there were that many people out there who weren't mm. getting the support that they need and weren't being connected to services. And the longer that you're in that exploitative environment, the more risk you have emotionally, mentally, and physically, and the harder it is. To get out and to get those services. So that's really, you know, what makes me so passionate about Pathways. And I see this as, as, a, as an absolutely wonderful opportunity. And it would be a terrible tragedy to pass that up. So for those listening, that, that's what brings me to the table. And I think what is so magical about what we could do with Pathways.
3: Yes, I, I I so agree, and thank you for sharing that. When you shared that eighty percent metric with me initially, I was just you know I was I, I was saddened, and and it gave me even that much more of a sense of urgency to push back on this. Again, the, we don't need, want to see the increase of 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 demand, right? And that is exactly what this would do: is provide immunity, um, provide as you mentioned earlier the ability for buyers and exploiters to um to kind of run free and um and this is important for the listening audience to hear is that um, today, the way that 653.22, which is the penal code that is is associated with lo- loitering for the purpose of prostitution, the way that it's written and it's supposed to be implemented is that an, law enforcement is supposed to observe a person um, hanging in and out of cars or waving down cars, uh, basically soliciting sex that way. And once they see a waving down of cars or they, they see someone hanging in out of cars um, multiple cars basically engaging in price negotiation and things of that nature, then they have the uh right to say there's obviously loitering for the purpose of prostitution. And just so you know, the buyer who's in the car can be uh arrested, as can the its survivor. And if there is a uh exploiter nearby in a car uh that has multiple, let's say girls. Whoever in their car uh, who are engaging these activities can be run up on loitering charges as well, again, being used as an investigative tool um, where you may not be able to um, get that that exploiter on 647 B, which is um, the actual. Uh, you know, trafficking uh, exploiter uh, code, which everyone's talking about making that a felony, you may not be able to apply that because you might not have enough evidence, but you certainly have enough evidence that you're involved in some kind of loitering. If you remove that, That code now the hanging in and out of cars, which I see, uh, you know, on the blade in Oakland um, or in 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 Modesto or in San Jose or Stockton that or Sacramento or different streets where people are sold the hanging in and out and the negotiating and the flagging. That that means the buyer goes free. That means the exploiter in the van and, and that's just ho- housing people going in and out of their van while they're uh, jumping in and out of cars and being sold. And that means the 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 person who's being sold. Um, whether it's a woman, uh, you know, non-binary, a man, whoever it is, they're going to also provide them some immunity, but without services, not in no intervention, no help, no assistance. And so this is... um this is the, I want you to kind of get a picture because you may not be, what does this loitering look like? You may not understand this. I wanted you to hear that the way that law enforcement is supposed to be uh, kind of using this as an investigative tool is to observe these behaviors and then issue the citations. And what we're suggesting is that they use this as an opportunity to engage with a survivor advocate locally Uh to come to that scene and provide on the spot services uh, for uh, for that survivor or that survivor to be brought to a facility where the survivor advocate is that can provide some mental health services and some, some support services on the spot. Such an important important thing to be providing, especially when you consider that so many, uh, nearly 75% of trafficking survivors, for example, in a place like San Diego are present with things like PTSD, uh, something that we need to be aware of. When you have PTSD, uh, when you're dealing with mental health issues, it's really hard to think. It's really hard to make, you know, a, a, a solid decision for yourself that gets you safe. And you often need some kind of support from someone to uh, make a decision maybe that would be life changing for you. And so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to actually talk a little bit more about the mental health aspect of uh, this. this uh, issue, right, of human trafficking. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and hear from Jessica, um, both from a mental health standpoint and also a psychoeducation standpoint. We're going to talk about a lot of things that can really um, provide some additional support to the survivors that um, we are advocating for today. So we'll be right back. And thanks for listening to Love Never Fails Radio.
1: To join in the fight for love, visit loveneverfailsus.com. Don't go away. Love Never Fails Radio will return right after these messages from our sponsors.
7: This is Dr. Miluna Fausch. I am honored to serve on the advisory board of Love Never Fails, where each voice matters as lives are restored. Thank you for your support. Let's face it. You are making a pitch for something every day. Your verbal communication skills are the key to your professional and personal success. My company, Pitch Perfect Presentations, trains executives, management teams, and startups in delivering consistent, effective, engaging presentations to today's diverse audiences to rev up sales, attract clients and fans, and secure funding.
1: and love those in your midst. Now here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, Vanessa Russell,
3: and welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We again are in the studio today with Jessica Kim, Andrea Powell, Marjorie Sailor, and myself, just talking about a decriminalization of prostitution in our state, uh, in and nation, and also uh, specifically pathway to safety, uh, pathways to safety, which we believe is a uh answer uh provide some solutions to some of the problems that we continue to uh observe and hear about and 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 many of us here have personally experienced. So Jessica, I want to bring you in uh sharing a couple of things. So you know thinking about some of the data that, that we we know about um Uh, human trafficking, many chronic symptoms of exploitation are uh, that of torture victims. And uh, and, you know, we as I mentioned in the last uh, segment, PTSD is very common, and it's something that develops when people are subjected to overwhelming and inescapable stress. And um, and so. You know, one of the things that I think is really important is just just a data point, and I'm going to throw it to you to kind of help us understand this a little bit better. You know, just to give you some idea here, traumatic brain injury in the general population of women averages eight point six percent. In contrast, rates of at least one traumatic brain injury range from 14 to 20 percent among Iraq war uh, veterans and have been estimated at 61% of retired football players. Studies on the prevalence of traumatic brain injury amongst women in prostitution find rates between 53 and 72%. Jessica, what do you think about this? Thank you,
8: Vanessa, for having me here today. It is really an astonishing and, um, and impactful when we hear those numbers of how many survivors of trafficking are impacted by by mental health, right? You just mentioned some astonishing uh, percentages. And the great thing about this is that we need to bring awareness. We need to to talk about the impact, uh, the negative impact that it has on um, on survivors of trafficking or people who are in the sex trade and just bringing awareness to it, you know. Under the DSM five, another uh, PTSD was something else that you mentioned, and chronic PTSD, right? Which is re-experiencing an event and recurrent memories of an event. When we're thinking about a person who is engaging in, um, in, you know, in exploitation or is a survivor of trafficking. And we are encountering them. We need to really um, encounter and, and engage them with support, right? We need to engage them with exit strategies, with support, with mental health um, uh, resources, with people who, with specialists who are actually specialized with dealing with our population, dealing with uh, symptoms of PTSD, of chronic PTSD. Oftentimes what happens is we engage with survivors of trafficking and we look at the outside reactions of the person that is sitting in in front of us uh, and not really asking questions, open-ended questions like what happened to you, right, instead of what is wrong with you. Mm. It's very different um, thinking in a very different way of engaging a person when we're actually using those open-ended questions that are trauma-informed and engaging.
3: Yeah. I, I love uh, that you brought this up. I actually am very close to completing a trauma professional training that I'm doing and uh, getting a certificate for that. And and one of the things that the Dr. Uh, Janine Fisher uh, talks about is uh, how how language can be empowering or disempowering, and um, and you know, and how powerful it can be uh, to understand the the challenges that somebody has uh, is experiencing. To just show up that day, right, and tell you uh, that they're afraid. Um, yeah. And you know, I th- I think I recall you talking about this. Uh, recently uh, you know what i think it might have been when we were presenting to to the governor's office but just your own experience of not even having um the ability to speak up for yourself right um being afraid to say what's really happening and if we don't provide safe spaces to do that and t- time for people to decompress um you know how how will they ever how will they ever share, you know, their, their truths? How will they ever, you know, get the help that they need if we just expect them to um, figure it out on their own? Exactly. And also um, coming
8: from a punitive standpoint, instead of a caring and, um, and uh, understanding kind of, Uh, point, point of view. So I can tell you from my own experience as a young eight-year-old child, when I first met my trafficker, I was eight years old. So most of us, uh, not all of us, but a lot of us have experienced some kind of trauma uh, in our childhood. So my experience obviously started very early on. I was eight years old. He was uh, my stepfather who came into my life. He started grooming me from the very, from, the very beginning. So Mm -hmm. the age of eight to 12, that was the grooming process. And this is a time when the trafficker will actually uh, begin to mold uh, their victim into exploitation later on. So it's kind of like a preparation time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was shown a lot of um, porn, a lot of pornography. I was, uh, you know, exploited and, I was doing things or he was doing things to me that should never have been done to any child. So having come out of that exploitation, going into trafficking at the age of 12, I was already in that mindset of survival. All I was thinking about was how do I survive right now? How do I stay alive right now? And how do I just get past this, you know, this moment or this hour? So it becomes a process of survival. And Mm -hmm. so that that survival mode of the fight, flight, freeze and dawn, right, that we often live in took me a really long time to get out of. Mm -hmm. Um, And even after I exited the, you know, I was able to escape the exploitation. It took many, many years of um, of counseling, of being surrounded by supportive community of doing just the self work uh, that I needed to do in order to, to move forward. So I am so excited to be part of this conversation, especially of this bill, because we're actually you know, providing exit strategies and uh, resources and mental health referrals mm-hmm. for people that actually want you know, that option
3: yes and just for the listening audience again you can find out more about pathways to safety by going to pathway without the s dot org pathway to safety.org and you'll see a, a kind of an outlay of of uh what we're talking about here but as jessica mentioned our hope is that um the instead of arresting a survivor that's on the street they'll receive a referral for a one-hour counseling session, and even a Cash App or Venmo or Zelle of $100 to help to offset the time that they're spending on that counseling session, Um, and that would allow them the opportunity to speak to somebody and get some support for some of the mental health issues that Jessica just mentioned. Uh, I think it's really important to note, according to Melissa Farley, um, Prostitution Research, She says, disassociation enables women to function despite overwhelming, inescapable fear and pain. It is the consequence of both childhood sexual violence and the violence of adult prostitutions. And it has been stated here that survivors have noted that disassociation is almost a job requirement for prostitution. We want to make that a thing of the past and provide a pathway to safety. All right, we'll be right back. We're going to hear from Marjorie. And thanks for listening to Love Never Fails Radio.
1: For more information on this program, visit loveneverfailsus.com. That's loveneverfailsus.com.
3: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We again are in the studio today with Jessica Kim, Andrea Powell, and Marjorie Saylor. I just wanted to thank you, Jessica, for sharing um, your story with us and uh, all of you uh, for just uh, your courage and your leadership. Um, I know it is extremely hard to do, and I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge um, uh, sometimes I... I uh, I just am so involved in the fight. I don't take a minute to uh, sit back and go, "Wow!" Um, just to acknowledge the the resilience that you brought forward to overcome that. So thank you so much, Jessica, for all that you do.
7: Um.
3: So, Marjorie, I, I you know, what, there's a few things that have been going on in um, as of late to talk about is. Is sex trafficking a violent crime in California or is it not? And I just I've always blown away uh, that anybody would say that it is not a violent cr- crime. I mean, again, we heard the stats around, uh, you know, traumatic brain injury. Uh, we are hearing about PTSD, you know, self-injury is at an all-time high with survivors of human trafficking, anxiety disorders, depression, mood disorders. Um, So I can't imagine how anybody would think that, you know, this isn't a violent crime. Uh, What are your thoughts on this, Marjorie? Is this just a cakewalk? What is this? (laughs) Yeah,
6: looking back now, what is this, seven going on oh my gosh It's going on nine years out of of my exploitation um i still see a counselor once a week i still see a trauma therapist once a week um just because life happens and and there's new triggers and it's it it's probably going to be a healing process the rest of my life it's going to get easier and it's gotten easier but in regards to the mental aspect of the aftermath, it is it is no joke. And even even for those who are choosing this life, like I thought I chose I chose in the beginning uh, my exploitation. I was a prostitute. I was in the strip clubs. I I was escorting You know, I was I I chose to be there. Or I, th- I thought I chose. It was actually, looking back now, a choice of no other choices. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had also been through that grooming process similar to Jessica. And I had been raped before I was... I had lost my virginity to rape. I had um, been molested from the age of 5 on to 14. Um, you know, I had been groomed by people close to me to see sex as uh, equaling love or abuse equals love. And so it was just something that was normalized to me. I didn't expect more for myself. Um, I wanted more. I didn't know how to attain it. And so, of course, you know, I would give myself away to to people wanting that love, that affirmation and and not finding that. And And so finally, I felt like I came to a place of giving up. I gave up on healthy relationships. I gave up on the idea of, of romance and I, I gave up on um, anything better for myself than exploitation. And my mind turned it into, I, I adapted in a way to be able to cope with it by telling myself that it was okay, that this mm-hmm. is what I wanted. And going into, as a young adult, 21 years old, going into the adult industry, in the strip clubs experiencing that and that's how i actually ended up being sex trafficked was out of the strip clubs um but before that just the experiences that i had with people that i would sell myself to um it was extremely scary and and no amount of money could make up for what i experienced and the horror that i experienced just at the hands of the buyers no amount of insurance or four hundred one k plan could ever make it worth me going back and and ever choosing to do that again. Now that I have a full potential, full uh, knowledge of my potential and my capability, um, I I would never ever choose to go back and do that. And had I been presented with other opportunities, I would have gladly taken them. And Even at the time I tried really hard, even before being exploited in in sex trafficking or the adult industry, I was exploited through labor trafficking. I tried my hardest as a runaway youth at 15. I was just trying to survive and I tried to get legitimate jobs and I, I I was labor trafficked three different times by three different companies prior to my exploitation in the adult industry. And so it was just like, in my mind, no matter what I did, it was just exploitation. <laughs> and I didn't have a name for it then. You know, this was just how it was. This was my life. And I was, I felt empowered when I made the choice to accept money for what everybody was taking from me already. Wow. Woo. And nice. I felt like. Now I get to say who, what, when, and where, and how much. But I was shaking in my boots every single night. I would get up there on that stage. I had to drink. I had to use drugs to perform. I had to um, just to numb the way I felt inside. And I wanted to die. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, And I, you know, shortly after, it was about a year in that form of exploitation that i was sex trafficked out and and that was a brief ex- brief experience It lasted only very shortly but that experience alone was enough for me to try to run mm-hmm. and get out of that and i completely walked away from um the adult industry i knew that if i stayed in that life that i was gonna die in that life mm. i had been left for dead by a sex fire at this point, and not to mention the abuse at the hands of the traffickers, so you're being beat, you're being forced to use drugs, you're being you know forced to do things with people that you don't even you wouldn't ne- you would never dream of mm. it is the most humiliating thing it is not a true choice, and so coming out of that was was really difficult. It was difficult to find a normal ground. it was difficult to find resources. But I was so resilient, having been on my own for so long, that I was able to find resources. Luckily for me, I did have a roof over my head. Um, A lot of the people that come in for services that we provide do not have that stability. They do not have a roof over their head. That is the number one thing that people need coming out of this, um, along with everything else. And so I had a baby. I had an 11-month-old baby. I needed to take care of her. And take care of myself and try to change my life, try to break this cycle of, of abuse and violence that I had been perpetuated, perpetuating around my life. And it just, I, I found resource after resource after resource. Had I known of the resources that are available today for survivors like myself, I would have gladly taken it. It would have been so much easier. And even now with the resources we have, we don't have enough. Mm-hmm. And so with Pathways to Safety, what that is ensuring is that we will be able to fund programs to help provide those resources so that people can actually get that opportunity to see their potential and to grow and heal yeah. and actually have a real choice in, in, in their healing.
3: Yes. Wonderful, Marjorie. Wow. Well, hey, I am so grateful that you made it out, that you're alive to tell this story. And um, I'm, you know, it saddens me to say that I know some of the ladies that I've been working with and that I've been serving uh, are no longer here. So um, I, I just, uh, I just am grateful for your voice. I'm grateful for this conversation and I'm grateful for all of us coming together to um, provide some insight as to why exit services are so key and also why um, we really need to address the buyers and the exploiters, uh, raise their level of accountability and awareness as to the impact that they're having on uh, whoever it is that they're buying and or exploiting. So um, we are going to take a break. We're going to come right back and talk about ways that you can connect with us. Again, thank you so much for listening in, and we'll be right back.
1: To join in the fight for love, visit loveneverfailsus.com. Don't go away. Love Never Fails Radio will return right after these messages from our sponsors.
7: This is Dr. Miluna Fausch. I am honored to serve on the advisory board of Love Never Fails, where each voice matters as lives are restored. Thank you for your support. Let's face it, you are making a pitch for something every day. Your verbal communication skills are the key to your professional and personal success.
1: And love those in your midst. Now, here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, Vanessa Russell.
3: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. Uh, Well, thank you guys so much for being here today uh, and just sharing uh, your heart about what it is that we're doing. Again, um, we, I think the four, four of us and even, you know, including Tika, as we've talked, we're. We're, we're leaning into something that's more like the equality model where we don't um, incarcerate survivors. We don't think that's the right answer, um, but we uh, want to see exit services provided in the way of counseling, which then leads to housing and workforce development that is funded by the bill. And it's funded by the fees that are collected from the buyers and the exploiters that are participating in the behaviors that are keeping uh, people enslaved and keeping them ensnared in um, this, this just uh, all of these terrible acts of violence and abuse, and so and that would uh, that is associated with that diversion program that we talked about early on. So, if you want to learn more about what this bill entails, I want to uh, recommend that you go to Pathway, P A T H uh, W A Y, P-A-T-H-W-A-Y, Pathway to Safety. And that's spelled out pathway to safety, uh, P-A-T-H-W-A-Y-T-O and the word safety.org. And there you will see uh, an overview of just kind of describing some of the things we've been talking about today and also ways to get in touch with us. Uh, And also just want to encourage you, there's going to be some events coming up in the near future, one on the 29th of April. Um, It is called uh, Shattering Barriers Symposium, Annual Shattering Barriers Symposium. And there's going to be a healthy conversation about the impacts of decriminalization uh, what it means to go with the equality model. And there's going to be some survivors that are advocating for decriminalization and some that are advocating against it. And uh, in this discussion, uh, I'm super excited to um, listen in. Some of my personal um, colleagues and friends are going to be talking um and uh, and facilitating some of those discussions, but some of the talk tracks are can we truly stay neutral regarding systems of prostitution that's one of them, how can we come together to effectively disrupt human trafficking. What are some healing and restorative spaces that are are available? And so uh, we're going to have a bunch of survivor leaders and advocates on there. We also have another discussion following that, um, most likely on June third. We'll keep you posted, which will be another discussion about decriminalization, including uh, voices from survivors and also uh, from law enforcement. So stay stay tuned for that. Also, want to encourage you to. Uh, if you want to learn more about what Love Never Fails is doing in the way of housing, in the way of workforce development services, and, um, and uh, you know, our IT academy, uh, tech academy, which is going strong, 81 students, woo-hoo, um, getting ready to graduate people from general education. And then they go into sales, they go into technology pathways, project management pathways, customer service, entrepreneurship. So we're super excited about that. Uh, if you want to learn more about what you can, how you can get involved or how you can use those resources, um, how you can ex- enter into our women's home, which is for women and their children or single women or women that are pregnant, or our men's home, which is for 18 and up with their families, or our children's, our girls' home, from, which is for girls 13 to 17. And we're getting ready to open up a transitional age, uh, a youth foster uh, home uh, for 18 and 21-year-olds. So, again, we're trying to provide as much resources we can to solve this issue. So, if you want to learn more about that, you can go to our website, which is at loveneverfailsus.com. You can also uh, go to our social media pages Twitter's Love Never Fails Five, Instagram, Love Never Fails Us, and, um, and then a Facebook Love Never Fails fan page. All right. Well, I think you've heard it all. Uh, You've got a pretty good perspective on some of the issues that are coming up as it relates to decriminalization. Um, There are going to be lots of interesting um, perspectives uh, that you'll hear at this symposium and also the uh, other uh, decriminalization discussion with law enforcement to follow. So please plug into this. This is important. This We're talking about between 100 and 300,000 people in the U.S. that are impacted by human travel. And I want to just thank you for caring enough for, um, you know, learning more about how we can support those that are impacted. All right. Well, we are going to call it uh, now and, and, and kind of transition into the rest of our day. But I want to make sure if you haven't heard it before or if you need to hear it again, I want to make sure that you know that you